What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of Intelligence. Uh, I'm your host, Brennan Dunn. We got joining us today, per usual, Damon Parrish, hey, attorney at law, uh, criminal defense attorney. We have Mr. Ron Freeman as one of our special guests. He is a sales director for a top 30 uh, company. We got a, uh, sorry, not top 30, what's it called? Uh, Fortune, 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 Fortune 30, 30. Not Fortune 500, not Fortune 100, uh, Fortune 30. Not Fortune 29 also. No, uh, just Fortune 30. It's pretty, pretty, pretty good. Um, a man over here, Quentin Broadwater, mechanical engineer extraordinaire. And last but not least, my mentor, Mr. Alvin Nunnery, uh, been in the law game for over 30 years. He's both a high-level criminal defense attorney and special prosecutor. Indeed. Fellas, y'all ready for this? We've got a lot to talk about today. Let's, first, we're going to get into the, uh, the uh, current events, and then we're going to get into some interesting stuff dealing with toxic masculinity and uh, the importance of the black church. First thing on the list is Kylie Jenner. Uh, for those of you who don't know, she's part of the uh, Kardashian family. Bruce Jenner is her father. or I'm sorry, what, what's is his he, name is he, now? Is he? What, what, what's the name? Uh <laughs> Brianna Jenner? Or, I don't know. Caitlyn Jenner is Kylie Jenner's father. But she has been touted by Forbes magazine as uh, slated to be the youngest billionaire in history. They had her at uh, her company worth uh, $900 million. So interesting um, that people on uh, have been doing GoFundMe accounts to get her this extra hundred million dollars. Yeah, right. Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I just think it's, no, ridiculous. it's ridiculous. But the most important thing about this is that they have touted her as self-made uh, in this journey. I think her family started off, I think uh, uh, the family itself was worth like a hundred million before she even started. Uh, so she was got, I mean, and even if it wasn't at a hundred, she was born into literally uh, millions and millions of dollars. She had the notoriety of the uh, Kardashian name uh, and the Jenner name backing her. Uh, so the fame was there, the, the, the fortune was at least on hand to draw from, and uh, she had the platform that so many of us uh, can, can attest that it starts with who you know, not necessarily what you know. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of people had an argument to say about, hey man, is this really self-made? I have an opinion on this, but I wanna get your opinions first on what is self-made, and do you consider her to be self-made? Even if you make the argument she went from 100 million to 900, is that not getting her there? Uh, well, me personally, I don't think she's self-made because I always feel like self-made means you are the product. So if you can remove somebody from the product and the product can still uh, grow, it can still it's still in demand, then how can you say that uh, you're self-made? I, I, don't, I don't even know what she does. So... So that's a good point. She actually makes a, a lip a lip kit, a lip liner, lip liner, lip all the stuff dealing with lips for women. She uh, she has a so lipstick, lip liner, all that's so a lip filling uh, kit. So I, I would say, the, is, is she actually the the brains behind operation, or she's just the face of what it is of the product? Because if she's just the face of the product, then that just means the company can pick another pretty face, put it on there, and it could be just as well. Maybe the Jenner name has a stronger name right now, but if if, if this is a product that people like because it's a good product, right, then they could easily probably substitute her and and people will still buy the product. So I don't understand how you would say that she's self-made. Now, Alvin, you seem to, 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 to have some things to say about that. Well, coulda, shoulda, woulda. 
if indeed the product is being sold as a result of who she is and what she represents, then more power to her at that point. Prior to this time, no one else had that lip gloss or whatever it was out there made a fortune. So again, I see absolutely no reason to deprive her of it. Now, would I buy the product? Absolutely not. Would I allow one of my children <laughs> to buy the product? Absolutely not well, because not? of what it represents. What, what does that mean? What do you mean what, is it, what it represents? What does it represent? Well, obviously, she, it is important because of what it transitioned into. And again, I am just simply not one to endorse that trans, uh, transgender, trans lifestyle. Wait, wait, wait. So you're yes. saying you wouldn't buy Kylie Jenner's product because of her father? Absolutely. Boy, we about to have some fun today. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're about about to have some fun today. Ron, what you got to say, man? I think she's absolutely self-made. I mean, she's young. So like, it's like my parents and any other parents that say, we got a hundred million. You eighteen, seventeen. You don't got shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? We give you what we what we want to and stuff like that. She comes from. You watch the show and stuff like that. It's a pretty humble family. You know, they'll give her a little car or something like that. But they make them own own their own stuff. Even the 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 son was it Rob? You know what I mean? You got to go do something. You know, they yeah. give him a little bit, but he ain't living like everybody else. You know, they they have levels to it. Uh, the product's good, I heard, and she is the connection to the young. Adults and streets. I don't care what kind of CEO you got running behind it. They don't have that perspective of what the young people want. They're old. They're out of touch. She has the followers. She knows what they want. She's hands on with the product. She created it. I mean, what else do you want from her? Be self made. I mean, I don't know if you can say she created lip gloss or lip accessories. What are you saying? She created the product. The product. She's the, she's the brand. I mean, did, well, she, the, did she create her brand? Well, the, the product is, is big because of the, the different colors that she got that haven't been seen before. It's, she has innovation to it, and it's what... I don't know, man. I don't know if you can make a new color. I, 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 you can make a color hot. What you talking about? They got they got I mean, fuchsia black. Now, all of a sudden, like, fuchsia black didn't used to be there 10 years ago. All of a sudden, you got fuchsia black or whatever. Yeah. Honey brown pecan tan. I don't know. She is a product of, of her family. That's great. I don't know. If she's. I wouldn't call her self-made. Uh but she, I, you know, she works hard for what she's got. That's good for her. I don't, I don't really know anything about. I, mean, I can't even tell what she looks like. She walked through this door right now. I wonder who the hell she was. She looks, she looks white with a little bit of black lips yeah. that got Ooh. reduced. That won't help um, me at all. Well, I mean, she I looks, mean, like she looks. Women I, mean, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't. She really. looks like a, uh, a a poor Kardashian, but a rich white woman. But the rich Kardashian. Well, no, a poor, because I'm sorry, a poor uh, what's her name, Kim Kardashian, but a rich white woman. So she's, she's worth, like in between. She's worth as much as Kim Kardashian. I think she's actually. I don't think Kim is a is a billionaire. No. So she's she's probably she might be worth more because I think she has an actual product. She's the one has a product. Yeah, so she's actually. Show. I think she is actually worth more than Kim. Here's the thing. I think. Um, Good for her. You know when you when you take the word at its core, self-made, uh, it, it means unassisted. You know you didn't have anybody else helping you to 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 get to where you are. You did it all on your own. It is it is. Um, Incumbent upon us to understand that self-made, like when you when you think of Tyler Perry, Tyler Perry is self-made. No one, no, he got there all by himself. He didn't have a platform before. He started with the Chitlin Circuit. He made his runs, and then he gradually got there. Um, Kylie had, like I said before, she had funding to start with. She had a platform to start with, and she had a name to start with. Those are all things that assisted her. Has she has she done? well for herself absolutely i mean she she is if if you if you 
take into account going from 100 million to 900 million, she has made 800 million dollars before the age of 21. By far, she might be one of the the most accomplished people before the age of 21, but self-made, she is not. And I think you do a disservice to others who have, you know, this is a Caucasian term, pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. And, you know, people like to use that all the time. Donald Trump said, well, you know, I came from, uh, you know, I, I, I made I made my billions, you know, I, I created yeah, this. You had a million dollar loan that you've been catapulted. If every one of us had a million dollar loan, there are going to be some people, right, not everybody's going to be a billionaire, but there are going to be a lot more multimillionaires around. So when they use this term pulled up by the bootstraps, it's it's a it's a uh it's misleading because you all you forget from which you came. Exactly. Everybody didn't have the same starting field as you. You know, there's also this concept that uh, what are the economics behind her them, her being a billionaire? Because are we saying she has nine hundred million dollars cash, no. or that her company is valued one day with future extrapolations and that kind of stuff to be worth nine hundred million or a billion dollars? I think her company is is worth just like saying um, um, if she uh, has does she have nine hundred gates and everything. Their 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 valued assets collectively total. Nine hundred million dollars. So I don't know how much of that is liquid right now. But the gates have liquid money. Like I, that's but, you, but most you, like 80, 80 or ninety percent of of the uh, of of the gates and uh, what's the other one? The other super rich one, uh, Bezos. Bezos. Uh, like like ninety percent of their wealth is actually within the assets of the company itself. It's not liquid assets they yeah. can just draw out immediately. So I, I, I get that. But we talked about a present. I, I, to be fair with you, I don't really care anymore, yeah. so I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> and, and actually, what difference does it make whether you got assistance or you did it on your own? Oprah Winfrey, obviously, is self-made. She came from absolutely yeah, nothing. Uh, and she, uh, you know, parlayed her talents into a mega, mega, mega business. But by the same token, if you have a parent who has assets and he or she contributes to their child's success, is that success somehow to be frowned upon? That makes absolutely no sense to me. So whether it's self-made or with assistance, success equals success. So why should we care? That's right. I don't, oh, no, I don't care. I don't, I don't think it's that we care. I just think that because that's how they promote it. That's how the media put it out. That she's the first self-made billionaire under 30. I think that's how it was actually put out there. But like under Brennan 21. was saying, under 21. So I think what like Brennan was saying earlier is, that's almost a slap in the face to the people who really had to go that route to get to where they are. And like you say, maybe, maybe Tyler Perry, Oprah Winfrey, those real self-made billionaires don't care, but I don't know. I just feel like you're standing on a pedestal that you shouldn't be standing on. To, to be fair, I think the bigger issue is not her net worth, whatever. It's that people are giving her money to help her for no reason. That's I, I, think that, I think that's the bigger issue. Well, she people got, are, she got the, the fans. I mean, I mean <laughs> I, And I agree, you can throw your money down the drain if you want to. That's your money, do what you want to do with it. I think that's still a but go issue. Fund me page, like, go fund me page. That's, that's how business is kind of ran right now. It's kind of ran. If you got the followers, you could make some money. But, but if everybody not, could get you a dollar. You know what I mean? If you got so, 10 million followers. They're not investing. I don't know. They're not investing in our company. They're not giving a hundred million dollars in investments. They're just or giving a hundred million dollars. Right? So, yeah, so what if it's, it's what if it's, well, you got ten million followers and everybody can get you a dollar? Same dollar you give a guy on the street or something like that is a, a well, wasteful dollar, and it goes up ten million dollars. Is that wrong? Well, let me <laughs> let me see if I can no, if wrong, I can I like play wrong. the I want to see if I can play the Kylie game, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I'm at uh, I'm trying to get to a hundred thousand there. I'm at ten thousand. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, y'all can just reach out and lend me your dollars, then by all means, uh, help help me the way you help Kyla. Can my 900 followers do the same? Right, right. <laughs> we have 16 people watching right now. You can turn on 900 million. I'll invest in right now. So, so next on the list, uh, Papa John's founder, uh, John Sh- uh, Schnatter. Schnatter? Schnatter? I don't know how to pronounce his name. I really don't care. Uh, but Papa John himself. Uh, has had to resign as chairman of his own restaurant. Uh, he owns about 30% of Papa John's. Uh, his stake was worth $622 million. Uh, but as a result of some comments he made during a, uh, a, a conference call, um, that has dropped down to 470 He's lost over $100 million in, in his company based off of his actions. Uh, he used the N-word uh, in, a, in a conversation, in a media training um, that was going on, and... Folks snitched on him. Uh, this is the same Papa John's owner that uh, gotten was pro uh, the NFL's uh, ban on having uh, players kneel. Yeah. Um, yeah. He got he got heavily criticized for that too. Uh, so he was on a phone call, used the N word. He was using the N word to explain like you know how how life used to be, and he says that uh, you know he was goaded into using the N word. Uh, others have said doesn't matter. It came out of your mouth. You of all people should have known better than to use that kind of language. A couple questions I have on this. First and foremost, should we really care what people are are saying and the verbiage that they're using when it's not in our conversation and it's not directed at us individually? That's one. Uh, and two. You know, people are calling on, you know, hey, no longer eating at Papa John's, no longer uh, patronizing this particular company. As much as as many owners that are are, are white that are owning all of these uh, high dollar businesses that, that we go to, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of them that probably have the same sentiments. They just haven't been publicly exposed uh, for saying it. Should we really be so focused on not patronizing uh, these establishments just because we hear somebody at the top say it, even though everybody in the company may not hold those views? Uh, well, I would say this, and to elude on what you just said, every company you go to that's owned by somebody who doesn't look like you, you have, I mean, there's an opportunity that they have the same or share the same feelings that this guy shares. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a respect thing. I mean, if, if I'm spending my money, if I'm spending my resources, I'm investing in you, man, I at least expect you to respect me publicly and acknowledge the fact that I am a customer of your business or your service or whatever. I think, I mean, honestly, man, at the end of the day, keeping it real cost, whether it's a, a negative or a positive impact. If you're going to if you're going to come out and make these statements and be public with it and be broad with it, then you're going to have to suffer those consequences. So I, I don't feel like the public is overreacting to what he's done. I think they're just reacting. Uh, and to answer your question, Brennan, uh, I think in the confines of a private conversation, what you say is your business. He was talking to his wife, his kids, he was at home. I, I don't know if I can charge the business for what his comments were. Uh, but at a conference call with business employees, you are a high-level CEO. You set the tone for your company. You set the tone for your employees. So if you're walking around um, setting a tone of, of, of racism, knowingly racism, making comments and words that you know even in the court is judicially judicially recognized as a very nasty racist term. You set a tone for how you expect things to be done in your company. Uh, a tone that was followed by his stance in the NFL and carried forward. Uh, 
I absolutely think you, you stand by your own words. You stand on your own two feet. So if you if you want to be that way, then you be that way, and you suffer the consequences for it. I think I think it was the easy. He was the easy target. Some, what, do you, what do you mean by easy target? For some reason, <laughs> suspicious. <laughs> I feel like we're about to get real in here, Ron. I think from reading with the NFL and when it was all going on, his Super Bowl campaigns, what was going on, the company. I mean, Papa John's been dropping money. They're not a great pizza. Let's, let's keep it real. I thought Papa John's was delicious. You must like Domino's. You look yeah. like a Domino's type yeah. man. Well, this man whole, works for a Fortune 30 company, man. He uh, is. Uh, he's a Chicago Uno. Pizza industry's changing. He's flying in from Giardino's. The industry's changing. He keep up with it. He wasn't their guy. It just seems like he ain't been their guy. So he was easy to scapegoat. And... and and that's kind of what they're but, doing. But he, but he said it, though. Like, this has nothing to do with the NFL issue. He actually said right. these words. So there's no scapegoating here. It is it is what it is. You think one of them high owner of Dallas Cowboys said that during the meeting and would have got out like that? It, it was something. He, he was one of the, the scapegoat guys. He wasn't one of their guys. They but, went. But, but you're not making sense right now, my man. Like, it's it's, it's his company. It's it, like he's, it's his word. He's now said some, 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 some words that affect the bottom line of his company. If he doesn't actually, st- if he doesn't either triage the situation or step down, then the consumer base gets mad and says, well, we're no longer going to support this particular company because on its face, the face of the company is bigoted. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to support a big a, a, by keeping him there, that basically says we support bigotry for all intents and purposes. That's how the media portrays it. So it's, this isn't some kind of thing where they said, uh, you know, we got to scapegoat you out of here. This is this is a matter of economics for a company. As a, as, a, as a Fortune 30 man, you should be the first one to understand that the brand that you serve is everything. And the face of that brand, if it's not... If it's not do- you can't have um, Jared from Subway still talking about I love footlongs when you like little dicks. <laughs> You just can't do it. No, no, you can't. And I understand your, your purpose on that. But the fact of the matter is the, the company's already dropping 15%. It was already going down like that anyway. Well, I'm sure this didn't help. Yeah. Here's the bottom line, though, and I guess I'm the oldest person around this table at the age of 61. I want to, and I hope this doesn't shock you, there is not a white person who could speak who has not used the word nigger. Why y'all being naive and think that this is some kind of shock is amazing to me. Uh, And if they don't use that word, they use the functional equivalent. The owner of the Texans, when he said we cannot allow the uh, inmates to run the prison, he essentially said we have to keep these niggas yeah, in their place. That was yeah. the whole now, meeting was about probably when, they, when he said the N-word. Exactly. <laughs> he was just going off the settlement of the meeting. He didn't just go out there and just say it when everybody else was talking about it. <laughs> so even though I would react in a very, very, very hostile way where it directed to me, I refuse also by the same token to allow anyone to have that kind of control over me that where it would upset me so much. I have no problems with blacks responding to those terms, but be proactive. Do something. Just don't get mad about it. And if that means his company suffers, then so be it. Go find another damn pizza. Or create to, your own. Or right? create your own. Exactly. But I would be. I would not allow him or anybody else to have that kind of control over me. So will you allow Papa John's in your house? No. But he won't he won't allow the daughters of a transgender product. You know Papa John's up there. Matter of fact, I'm surprised he still eats pieces. 
like, you no, know, that's how you, that's how you get even. That's how you respond to it. But what I'm saying exactly. is, we are naive if we think that that word is not universally uh, used by our uh, people who don't look like us. But you know, Alvin, I think, uh, and I hope this is a, a sign of progression. We all understand it happens. We all understand to use it. Maybe, no offense to you, you're 61 years, you didn't expect any kind of punitive damage for using it. Like, somebody says it, oh, well, they fucking said it. It is what it is. Uh, and now we expect something. Now you, you said and you suffer the consequence of saying it. I know you said And now when you get busted, you've now been busted. So now you need to deal with this. Uh, you know, I, I think it sucks for people not connected to, pop, to, uh, to him, the company to suffer, jobs to be lost. It sucks for the guy down the road who's just delivering pizzas. And that's all he does, be black or Hispanic or whatever. And all the man is doing is supporting his family, delivering pizzas. And now he's suffering from the CEO's remarks. But if it sets a tone that, hey, you own your words, and so be racist privately, but in business, be respectful, then it is what it is. So if you were fortunate and uh, athletic enough to uh, play football with the Texans, after Bob McNair said what he said, would you quit the team? That's a great question. Hands on if another team would assign me. My contract says, uh, I don't know, man. You know, it's hard to it's it's hard to sometimes stand on principle yeah. when you think about feeding your family. I I would like to think I would do the right thing, but I would say uh, I mm -hmm. I look at my kids, ones out there, and be like, let me do this, do this for them. But it's hard to say if. If I know I got to feed them to say I can't feed you yeah. off this, I don't know. I mean, we can all agree that principle is only worth what you can afford. Exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah. if you can't afford to pay uh, to, to 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 finance your family after you've stood your ground, you know, the thing about uh, Kaepernick Cop is, Kaepernick. Uh, Kaepernick, yeah, Kaepernick. I'm sorry, that is that he was a millionaire. So even he he even did. if he met, never yeah. never made another dollar, was it wasn't going to financially hurt him for now to say, you know what, I'm going to take a stand. Somebody who's at the bottom of the totem pole that's making the three hundred thousand dollars per year, got, they don't have that kind of. They're not, they're not afforded the same level of, of, of free will to be able to say, you know what, I don't like this organization because they don't have the resources that he has when he takes that stand. Well, nobody, but, I don't think he knew the adventure his stand was going to go on when he did it. I mean, now they know. Everybody else, he was the leader. He was the first one. He was the face. Now they kind of see what's what's going on with it. I don't, yeah. Who knows if Ka Kaepernick would have done the same. Thing. I mean, I believe that he probably would, but he, he didn't know that he was still trying to get back in the league. Well, and, until, and that's a fair <laughs> statement, but, uh, you know, we're going to move on to this because I really want to get to uh, our main topic. So this is the last of our current events right now. Uh, over in Detroit, students in Detroit are suing the state because they weren't taught to read. Man, um, how, they how, are, how are they writing this petition? If they they, uh, I, I think, well, they, they hired somebody else to do all the writing for them, and then they had them sign with an X. But I don't know. Um, well, seven students in, De in Detroit have, have filed a class action suit against the state of Michigan, uh, saying that the that the uh, establishment is so dismal that it it amounts to no education at all. What's interesting about this is that it is the first case of its kind where. Uh, it's being argued that the U.S. Constitution guarantees the right to become literate uh, and thus be educated because the, the rights uh, established in the Constitution, the other rights established in the Constitution necessarily require the ability to read. Now, the case was, was, has been thrown out, but they're now appealing it, which means that this is probably going to go up to the Supreme Court as an issue of how far does the right to have an education uh, extend? Is it a constitutional right to education? And this is going to be interesting, especially now that we have 
uh, this shift in the powers of the Supreme Court to an all-conservative uh, uh, venue, I honestly don't know how they're going to play out. If, if, if RGB uh, has her way with it, then, you know, hopefully they'll be able to sway a couple of people. But, um, you know, is it, should it be, and is it, in your opinion, a fundamental right to education? And, and let me rephrase that. Should that, does that. should that education have a bar? Absolutely. Everything in life has a standard, right? So my, my question in this is where are the checks and balances in the education system? Because you are employing people to make sure uh, that kids leave uh, whatever level at a certain uh, standard, right? So meaning you can read, you can write, or you can add, you can do math. So... Uh, first and foremost, if you're paying somebody to do this job and they're not executing this job, then absolutely they should be liable for any type of lawsuit that will come back against them. But what, you know, what standard? I'm really curious as to how these seven kids are creating a standard of what they should know versus what they actually know. What, what did, I want to read what their petition is. What's the complaint? And what are they asking for? Are they asking them to be taught? Like I want what we call specific performance or asking for money, like give me money because you didn't teach me. I think it's it's a standard that they're saying that needs to be upheld, saying that, look, the, the, the standards that are that are being set for education here in Detroit are so subpar that what's being given to us equ equates to no education at all, and uh, which probably comes, it's multifaceted in terms of what that means to fix it. It probably necessarily means you have to give more money. It necessarily means that you have to pay teachers more to want to be there. It probably necessarily means that you have to buy more books uh, and more updated uh, resources and, and tools for them. So you don't, I don't think you get the better education without spending the money for it. So then, just to answer that part, there are things that are already dealing with education that are constitutional. You have a constitutional right to homeschool your children. Right? You can, as a parent, choose to not enroll your kids in school. Um, we know Brown v. Board and, and what that did to change the civil rights movement in this country. Many aspects of uh, fundamental rights already come from education. So to answer your second question, I would say yes, there is a fundamental constitutional right to education I don't, and, and to some sort of access to knowledge. Right. Um, question, are the plaintiffs in this case all of one group or out of a specific jurisdiction or the whole city of Detroit? Who are we talking about, first of all, following this lawsuit? And then the second question becomes to me, and it's one that's very, very personal. I agree with you since Brown v. Board of Education in 54. I think the Supreme Court has made it fundamentally clear that everybody's entitled to the uh, equal protection of the law and, as a result, uh, the right to an education. But having said all of that, there are other principles responsible for your education. And hint, hint, it starts with mama and daddy. Uh, it is, to me, a evidence of child abuse when a parent is unaware of what their child is uh, supposed to be doing in school. Uh, principally, they should be involved in the PTA, PTO, whatever their organization is. They should know who their kids' teachers are. They should know what classes they're taking. They should be viewing their homework. And of course, we know part of the problem is half of the uh, children in urban areas, if not more than that, are being raised by single parents and they themselves rarely have uh, functional education themselves to uh, aid and assist. So this idea of sue, 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 sue 
I think it's just misplaced in this instance. I think there are other responsible parties that uh, should be brought to bear on this entire issue. Well, and they said they're suing uh, Michigan, uh, saying that the state is um, is depriving children of their constitutional rights. But we got a couple of comments. Uh, I think Kel's Jamie uh, has made some some really good points, and I want us to kind of touch on those. It's the downfall of standardized testing, and uh, teachers have a have to teach a test and not educate. So it sounds like to me, in this particular instance, what she's what she's kind of saying is that. It's, it's a fundamental problem with how education is being delivered right now. Um, when you're talking about standardized testing, which many have argued is racist, uh, is, there's a racial bias uh, in standardized <clears throat> testing on its face, uh, couple that with the fact that a lot of pe- teachers are teaching specifically for, if it's in Texas, the TAS test, uh, or the ta- I don't know what they call it now, but every state has a standardized yeah, test by star. which they, they, they uh, make a benchmark for that edu- educational parameter uh, for each grade level. Are we are we less focused on education at this point, and, and as, as an as an American society, and more so on hitting bit, benchmark litmus tests? Um, and and has the system in which education has 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 manifested itself is it kind of outdated at this point? I think I think I think education has become a a numbers game. How many people can we get through this system? And and, and I think she she touched ahead on that when she made that comment because. Um, standardized testing, uh, that's, that's the metric, right? That means you have retained or you have been able to understand the information that's been taught to you, and you can take that information and apply it and pass the standardized test. But when you remove that, what is your benchmark? You have nothing to gauge to say that this person has learned or this person is capable of learning the information that's being given to them. So it's almost like, why would you take that away? What other metric do you have in place to see if your teaching methods are effective. If the students are retaining the information, if they're able to take the information and apply it. Well, and you talk when we talk about um, um, standardized testing. When you say racial bias, how how can one make it fair if you don't have a? I mean, the standardized testing is supposed to be across the board. Everybody at this grade level, at third grade, should know these particular criteria. Everybody at second grade, and, and, and um, for each one, you have a standard that's supposed yeah. to be met. I don't know how we get to racial bias, um, how we overcome what, what's perceived as a racial bias when you have benchmarks that every child should. I mean, I think that if my th- if, uh, if the white kid, three-year-old, is learning uh, triangles, I think that the black kid should also be learning triangles at the same time. Ron, yeah. what do you got to say? Well, it's just kind of home to me because I grew up in that school district in Detroit. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. You know what? I felt that when you first sat down and said hello. I felt that in my spirit. But go ahead, man. Top 30, though. Remind me. Well, not not, not directly in that school district. See, in Detroit, you'll start off in in the school district. Everybody wants to go to a certain high school. So the black high school that actually was academically sound was Cass Tech. So you you had to test to get into there. Nobody... Everybody can just can just get in. You had to test to get in. So you test to get in. They try to keep, you know, kind of the smarter kids or whatnot or who wanted to learn to go to that high school. And and it was a good high school, and you'll get opportunities at college. Now, Michigan has more colleges than probably any other state um, around. So the university level is, is, is high level. Property tax. Now, you're not going to be spending seven dollars $800 in property tax and, and your kids going to a bunk school. So those they have first kind of rights to saying, hey, the, the teacher's not up to par, the school's not up to par, the computers and stuff like that. So if you're not paying 
any high level or any kind of property tax, the government kind of Michigan is kind of they're not gonna listen to you when you're trying to try to say, hey, we don't got computers, books are old. Any any schools have gotten worse. I've I haven't heard homeschool as much as I heard it now, back back when I was going to school whatsoever. You make a uh, big point though when you reference teachers. Uh, they are underpaid. And more importantly, they rarely get support from the parent. Uh, they are more disciplinarians now than they are teachers because they have to try to maintain discipline within the classroom. And I can say this because I'm a product of uh, pre-Brown up until the sixth grade. Uh, I went to an all-black school. And I can say without a doubt, those black teachers I had were far superior to any teachers I had after uh, the schools integrated. They cared about the students. I mean, they took us in. I mean, most of my school teachers went to the same church I attended and stuff. So there was a sense of uh, community and family there. So it's parents, it's teachers, it's money, and the whole mixture is not one thing, but when you talk about standardized tests and stuff, four times six is 24. There is no racial no gray area. a gray area there. So standardized tests, I think, has a beginning point. I'm not sure that it should be all about that, but I don't... I don't buy into that argument of the racial bias inherent in those tests. Oh, and, and I appreciate that. And I think uh, one of the commenta commentators uh, or commenters, uh, Latanya Trial, said, uh, but if you're not being taught, how can you be tested, which I think goes directly to your point. But we're going to uh, move forward with this and get into uh, why you guys were brought here today, uh, starting <clears throat> with you, Mr. Freeman, uh, which is uh, our first discussion is on toxic masculinity. Um, and, you know, you might ask, well, what is toxic masculinity? Uh, I would venture to say that toxic masculinity is uh, taking or espousing the belief of, of your manhood to the point where it becomes a detriment to your growth as a human being or to uh, uh, your growth as a su successful person within society. Uh, and it also uh, rears its ugly head in the decisions that we make and how those decisions may affect uh, us on a day-to-day -day basis. Citing uh, one instance being with Terry Crews, uh, when Terry Crews came out uh, not too long ago saying, hey, uh, look, he, I think he had discussed this before Congress. I was groped by a, a, another man, uh, a producer, made me super uncomfortable. I didn't like it. I was sexually assaulted. However, one of the reasons why I didn't speak up and say anything is because, you know, I'm a man. And in society, in American society today, to be a man... Uh, Touting, touting sexual assault by either a woman or another man is something that, that's, that's it's frowned upon. It's like, dude, come on now. You couldn't handle that. You're not a real man. Uh, telling men, you know, as, as little boys, you're not allowed. Men don't cry. Uh, therefore, cultivating a sense of, 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 of uh, lack of emotional intimacy with others because we hold things in. Uh, which becomes toxic to our psyche because we don't know how to properly express ourselves. You got women that say, you know, uh, if you could only just say X, Y, and Z, well, you know, as a man, you don't speak like that because some might argue we have become so toxic in our masculinity. Um, first and foremost, Mr. Freeman, a.k.a. Ron, uh, do you believe 
in the term toxic masculinity? Does it even exist in your mind? No, nothing exists. Nothing exists. <laughs> no, man, wait, <laughs> esoteric. Like, are we even here right now? Oh, man. It's about to get live. <laughs> I mean, you're a man first. I mean, and that's who you are. That's who you are. You're a man first. I think it's been an attack on male masculinity, period. I think it's been a lot of different agendas against it. And I don't see how it could be wrong to kind of be in your masculine form. And well, be natural. So, who teaches? Well, who teaches masculinity? Like, what? What is? Where do you get masculine? Like, what is the benchmark for masculinity? You're saying, you know, I got to be comfortable in being a man. Well, does one man look different from another man? Is if one man cries and another man does it, does the man who cry, does the man that cries, uh, is he less of a man? No, I don't think emotion, and I don't even think sexuality has a lot to do with it. I mean, you're still a man, no matter if you are an emotional man or you date or something a, a different gender or anything like that, I don't think you could be gay and still be a masculine man, within your point, in my opinion. But I'm, I'm surprised you actually said that. No, I, me I, too. I, 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 I think we're all speechless here for you. I was not expecting that to come from. I mean, at the end of the day, they're still men. You know what I mean? Like, it's who you who you choose to be with sexually has nothing to do with your masculinity to me or whatnot. I don't know that. That's your business behind closed doors and whatnot. Now, if you're a feminine person and that's your exterior that you're bringing out to the world, then yeah, you might but, get judged on that. So isn't that the same thing? Like, what defines that, though? What what defines that you're feminine or, or you're masculine? I think that's what we're trying to say is, at the end of the day, all of, you know, well, we're all men, right? But we're all very different men. Uh, if if somebody close to any of us were to pass away, all of us might handle it differently. Some people may cry. Some people may go into some type of state of depression. Some people may take a deep breath and just keep on trucking. So I, th I think what it is is here is how you respond to things that happen. Society is trying to define that. But at the end of the day, you just need to understand that, man, people are people first and that they're going to react and respond to things differently. And I don't think you can define that. So Raphael McCary uh, says toxic masculinity is a catchphrase for the feminist agenda. And yeah. then you got Chelsea Simone that says, and I think this is uh, back to you, Ron, it says what is natural masculinity, which is the, I think, the phrase that you use. Um, so explain that, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll head over to uh, Alvin on this one. Well, personally, I think, let's say I was raised... I got I gotta really give my story on opinion, but uh, I started off raising a two family household. My mom, uh, my dad, he'll do she he did the discipline. My mom wasn't really the person to hit us or anything like that. So I didn't have a female smacking me around. You know what I'm saying? Like that. When I got in trouble, father came in, did his business or whatnot. Um he paid the bills mostly around the house and things of that nature as a man. So I didn't have a fear of a of a woman is saying, oh, get out of my house. It's, it's dad's house. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm not afraid of you in that way. You just, you're my mom. You you put on, you. Dad, so you weren't even afraid of your mama? Wasn't afraid of my you mom. You one of the few First black, black men I, 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 I ever heard like, say that. What? Never afraid of my mom. My mom, Who hit, hurt you? My mom hit me one time. <laughs> and the arm, I was older then, I laughed at her. Like, it was. To this day, man, six foot, 200 pounds. My aunts, uh, you know, my girl, she passed away, but all five foot three. I was 
in deep fear of that woman. So since you came from Detroit, could your mama read? Maybe that's why she didn't know <laughs> what to do. She had read parody books on how to whoop black ass. My mama's college, college educated. Okay, fair enough, fair yeah, enough. Ron, I mean, what, I mean uh, Alvin, what you got to say on this? Obviously, it means more to be a man than to have a penis. There has to be some defined role for man and woman in a relationship. But at least in the black family, that role has never been clearly defined for a lot of reasons, among which of which most black women I know worked, okay? They didn't have the benefit of staying home and being the homemaker and all of that nonsense. They worked as much as the man did. So even, you know, from, from the outset, we've always had that challenge to know where our position is in the family and what the role is. However, you know, I'm thinking about Barack Obama. I remember during the Newtown incident when he was uh, discussing all of these kids being killed and stuff. He started crying. He was no less of a man to me at that moment than he was at any other point during his administration and stuff. So this idea of a defined role, I suggest to you, is a dangerous thing. I think you have to be true to who you are and respond accordingly. I simply don't believe that, you know, to be the man necessarily means that you got to make more money than uh, your wife. <laughs> I remind people early Amen. on in my marriage, my wife made more money, and I was happy as a lawyer to know it's still called community property. <laughs> <laughs> what she made was mine. So I just think we have got to let go of some of the nonsense that is associated with that. But by the same token, there are some roles that only a man can take in a household, and those roles should be understood and defined. So it's interesting because um, Raphael McCary, again, he's being real outspoken here, he says, uh, toxic masculinity is a phrase used to promote the demasculinization of our culture. Um, and then Sean, let's see, no, well, let me see, what is it? Yeah, Sean Zeno said uh, something else. It's, I'm sorry, Clarence says masculinity, Clarence, Patrick Francis says masculinity is disappearing because boys are being raised by women more so now as the dads are not in the child's life. And Ron, I hear you saying that's true. First, I want to get over to uh, 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 Damon on this, and then I have a comment I want to make on it. Uh, you know, so we, we're talking about gender defined roles, and I think about my kids. I, my wife and I, we have three kids, three girls, one boy. My boy is different than my girls. I mean, he's from the jump has been different. Uh, he is. He's, he's not saying stronger, but he doesn't like to cry. He gets angry faster. Uh, certain things about him just appear like, like I guess, a boy versus my daughter who's, uh, who's out there, who she's here right now, would talk up a storm. Very vocal with her emotions, and my boy's not. He wasn't raised that way by me. Like I, I, I let my kids talk, let them play, have their, be who they want to be, and that's something that he's picked up on his own or it was taught to him someplace else. I think there are certain ways that we act differently, and if that is by nature, if that is by nurture, if that is by environment or education, I don't know. But to say that your way of acting different is toxic, I think that's a problem. If you're a man and you choose not to cry, and or a woman, you choose to cry a lot, neither one of those emotions is toxic to me. If you are a man and you choose to adopt what is more commonly considered strong man um, identifiers or strongly feminine identifiers, 
and vice versa, that to me is not toxic. It just is who it is. So I agree with what some of our, our viewers were saying in that this is, in some ways, it's being used to either demasculine de de the culture or men in general or whatever, whatever. I, I just think toxic, toxic masculinity, to me, it doesn't exist as a, as a concept. So I, I kind of uh, disagree with you, and I think I side more with uh, Alvin on this one. Uh, there, there are two different... Um, avenues that I take in, in, in thinking about toxic masculinity. One, which was kind of hit on when uh, Alvin talked about it, is uh, gender roles. Um, I think that we, gender roles have changed through time for us in the American culture. Uh, at one point, women didn't work because they weren't, it's not that they weren't technically allowed to work, but they weren't getting the high paying job. So, you know, traditionally women stayed home. If women stayed home, that means that the men expected that, that the home be well kept by the time they got back, which put us into the category of quote unquote breadwinner. Um, as you progress, women's, the uh, women's rights movement comes forward. Women start making a lot more money. Um, they're now also uh, equal uh, or if not equal, comparable uh, uh, monetary contributors in the home. That starts to hurt us from ego standpoint because we all know men have ego, men have pride. We've always prided ourselves on, on the notion that we are the, the, the alphas in the home. We are the ones who provide all of the financial support. And if you have the financial support, then that means you have the, the support of the household. Um, and when women started taking over that role a little bit more, men start to lash back and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, now... Uh, I don't have as much say in what's being said in the house because before you was whoever you, parents will say it all the time. Once you start paying bills in my house, then you can have something to say. That same notion is 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 laid out in the spousal relationship. Well, I run this house. I make the money. So at the end of the day, women submit to your husbands uh, and let them lead. Uh, so the gender roles I think have changed, but we haven't changed with that time ergo toxic masculinity because it is actually hurting us and hurting the progress of spousal relationships because we're not actually focused on maturing with it. The second part of that is the psychological standpoint. When you said, I mean, it, there is something to be said about stifling the emotional growth and stunting the emotional growth of a person. Um, when, when, when men are taught as boys to, 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 to keep it in, suck it up, walk it off, then as we grow older, that's our, we're already naturally more aggressive. Our testosterone biologically makes us more aggressive. Then we're told to suck it up, hold it in. We're not taught how to have a healthy outlet when we're frustrated about things. So then when somebody comes up to us and says something, guess what? We're hyper-aggressive towards them. And we've kind of had to be that way, you know, because at one point when you talk about slavery on up, you couldn't lash out at master. You know what I'm saying? So, hey. You got to keep that to yourself. You can't let master uh, get you to that point, or you might just die for saying it. Civil rights, or you, you move in past the slave era, and you still have Jim Crow laws in there that says the same thing. Hey, you can only be so upset, you know, before you, it's a detriment to your livelihood and to your life. Now we're at a point now where we're given a, a more freedom to be emotionally vulnerable than we ever have before. However, we don't exercise that emotional vulnerability, and we're stunted in it because we're, we've always been told to act a certain way. So I think it can be time. I disagree with you 100%. Thing, I'm sorry, but one thing you had said, though, that I'm doing a uh, review of my life, I don't know any woman in my life who did not work. My grandmother worked. My mom worked. All of her sisters had jobs. My sisters have jobs. 
I don't know of a, and certainly my wife, thank God, has a job. <laughs> I don't know. Amen. <laughs> I don't know any black woman who didn't work. But what I do know is this, and this is the challenge I think, especially going forward for black men. Black women tend to be so far more educated as a whole than are black men. And black women, to your point, I want to interject that black women actually are, are the most educated group in America right now. Exactly. That's, 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 that's not true. No, it, it actually yeah, is. No, it is. That's that's true. True. It, is a, it is a statistical fact right now that, that black... percent and they, they were more educated than black men. No, they are the most educated group in America. Period. So go ahead, Albert. Go and ahead. that's what I'm saying is that, to me, is a challenge because I know... Uh, most of the sisters I know that have achieved top tier, uh, two of my friends, for example, are general counsel for major corporations and stuff, and uh, I hope they're not listening, uh, because they're all single. And that creates a problem. Where do sisters go for a relationship with a black man who can bring something to the table. I have a daughter who just graduated from Vandy. I don't want her, and I'm sad to say this, I don't want her to hook up with the janitor at the high school. You so bougie. But, yeah, I, 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 I got to stop you. I got to stop you guys. So, I got to so, on this one. So, sorry to answer yeah. Alvin. Two th the things you two said, you just said I have to disagree with. One, um, Making more money is not a sign of leadership. However, if my wife, if, if one day my wife eclipses me in pay, I won't care. But if she uses that against me, that creates a problem. So if, if her expectation that. of me being a man is to bring home the, the money, and then one day she eclipses me, and then says, well, you're not a man. We get in a fight, and like, I make more than you. Well, then now she's a, she has caused an emasculation. But that it's, wasn't it's, my point, it, but, but But that is a point in a relationship. You're talking about the balance of power shifting. Uh, whoever makes the most money controls the household. Well, I'm saying traditionally that, could, that was the mindset. Hold on. Oh, that ahead, that could be the case. But if that balance of power shifts and now you use it to your advantage, you are now be, being toxic in your femininity or whatever, trans, and not in me. You are not emasculating. That's one. That's Two, toxic there, there is... To finish your quote about walking it off, for me, that's a football quote. I remember when I played football and we got hurt, we were told to walk it off. When I played sports, we were told to walk it off. But the next part of that was get back in and think about what you're doing. You weren't just taught just to walk it off and forget it never happened. What would you do wrong? You missed your block. You missed your step. Focus on the game and the practice and move forward. I think walking it off by itself is a problem, but when you continue forth, it's not just walk it off. It's walk it off and consider where, where you went wrong, how you got hurt, and how to do better. That applies to life. So when I fall right now at work, whatever, I, I don't just like, okay, fuck it, I walked it off, I'm done, fuck you. I will walk it off, and in some period of self-reflection of what happened, what, what could I have done better, be it trial or whatever, and then I try to do better. So there's nothing wrong with telling people to walk it off. I tell my kids right now when they fall, walk it off. Stand up, come on, stand up, jump, walk it off. What happened? Now get back to what you were doing, whatever it may be, and finish it and, and, and achieve some, some success in finishing. You no, know, what Brendan is saying, though, is they're saying that men don't cry. 
is what that was in reference to. And I beg to differ. If I fall and I scrape my knee and the SHIT hurt, I'm going to show some emotion. And that is one thing that we have been taught not to do. And that's why you have these violent explosions and stuff because men too often keep this stuff bottled up. If they were more emotional and if they expressed themselves, we would probably have a much, 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 much more pleasant environment. So, uh, again, I think, no, and, and, and I need to say this, and I need to be clear when I say this. My father worked on the streets, uh, on, on the highways, so. when I say oh, okay. on the highway. Let me so tell you that a, Was he a hi-ho? <laughs> <laughs> and he did not have uh, more than a sixth-grade education. So I want to be clear, there is dignity in all work. I'm not suggesting that. What I am suggesting, though, is the level of educational attainment and stuff leaves the brother wanting or lacking when he's talking to a sister who has her master's degree. The things that he can relate to and the things that she bring to the table are so different that they're not equally yoked to the uh, extent that they can have a uh, good and a successful relationship. Ron, go ahead, man. I know you've been uh, chomping at the bits to speak. Well, two things. Not I think two. Two. <laughs> I think that masculinity that you're talking about, a lot of those tendencies, and I'm not saying full masculine, a lot of tendencies I've been seeing in women. I've been seeing it for a long time. And a lot of the, that you're talking about keeping it in and bottled in, I think they a lot of people got that men have gotten that behavior from women. I my mom and sister I've seen them they've been hurt. I know they're insecure in certain areas. I know they're bitter in certain areas. They never they never show it. They, their thing is to be confident. It's always been the woman confident. You get a two hundred fifty pound woman and she got to be confident. She got to look got that she can't that. open up. She can't. <laughs> I mean, she can't show that. She holds it in. So, seventy percent of the you know households raised by a single mother, they're watching the mother hold all this emotion in, keeping it together for the family. And and that's our fault as men. And, and so you're blaming toxic masculinity on, 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 on women. I'm blaming it on women. Go ahead, like, Ron. I mean, I, I, fired I, up, Ron. I mean, let's let's, let's, let's agree. We no we never, no, we, no. Sorry, we will not let's okay, agree. Have you ever seen this much? Masculinity in women, as you have in the last ten years, I, I have it. Like I've Caitlin, seen, yeah. Oh no, I've, I've seen the cussing. I, I, I mean, I women drinking straight Hennessy at the yeah. whatever. I would say this: I'm married to what he's saying because a lot of times, like, take the show "Powerful Existence," how Tasha always is telling ghosts, "You need to handle this and you need to man up." Bro. Like that, a lot of that happens today. A lot of that does happen. A lot of times, men can't express themselves and open up because a lot of times women do. And I'm not saying every time, and, and I, I'm not saying I agree with everything Ron is saying, but there is a merit to that. There is some influence yes. from that. Absolutely. Well, that, that's great that you and Ron can touch and agree. <laughs> uh, and speaking of touching and agreeing, we, we're going to talk a little bit about the black church. Um, Woo, Jesus. <laughs> one thing, and I want you guys to know as we go into this, we brought uh, Alvin on the show because uh, he is a, a uh, revered deacon. He may not look like it, talk like it. Or speak like it, but uh, he is a deacon, and I'm not going to name the church because I don't know if they want their business out there, so I'll leave that up to him. But um, So one of the headlines that uh, has come out recently is that the African Methodist Episcopal Church, uh, the AME Church, uh, has, has partnered up 
uh, with some business, uh, with some banking institutions to uh, try to bring wealth back to the black communities and establish um, lines of credit and um, uh, some other financial avenues for the black community. There's a lot to talk about when we talk about um, the black church, when we talk about black finances, and when we talk about the black community. Um, by and large, churches are one of the biggest banking institutions in the world. The Catholic Church is the biggest bank in the world. Um, we have always held ourselves of, of the belief that, look, I give money to the church. If I give money to the church, then I've been taught that I'm going to be prosperous in some, some shape, form, or fashion uh, it, as a result of that. I give my tithes, and, and we have what are called these prosperity preachers who have become very much popularized, and, and, and so much so that they almost become the cornerstone by which most uh, black patrons go to church to say, you know what, I'm down and out. I just need to go to church to, 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 to feel better. And I know that the, the word that pastor is going to preach is going to be something that, uh, that helps me out. It makes me feel good or better about my financial situation. Um, however, and I know this is a lot to talk about. However, um, there is something to be said about us placing so much stock in the word of the preacher where it might become detrimental, citing as, 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 as authority. Um, Pastor Kirby John Caldwell, Caldwell, who was a Houston uh, area preacher over at Windsor Village, one of the uh, biggest black churches uh, in the uh, greater Houston area. He was just indicted not too long ago uh, for um, fraudulent activity and, and, and federally, federally indicted for fraudulent activity and using uh, church goers money in a scheme involving Chinese bonds. Uh, church members are saying, well, he used his platform as, as the church uh, pastor to build this fiduciary relationship, which he then breached. Do we put too much stock in the black church? Is it as beneficial as it's supposed to be? And is it more detrimental to us than positive? First of all, let me try to uh, use some of my uh, deacon please. Come on, Deacon. <laughs> say it with your Deacon voice. Yeah. Uh, Amen. Use like a little quip. Credentials here to start out by saying this. Let's debunk the term black church. There is no such thing as black church. There are certainly congregations within the church wherein the vast majority of the people in the pews, if not all of them, are black. But as a biblical principle, there is no such thing as a black church. Uh, church, by definition, is a body of believers. And supposedly, under the uh, Gospels, from Genesis to Revelation, we're all supposed to be one body in Christ. So let me start there. Amen, church? Amen. 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 Right. Amen. <laughs> now, this is the same guy who said he won't buy lipstick because of the right. But go ahead. Right. Go ahead. Go ahead. And I can get into scripture and work on that, too, but that's a different story. But the other part of this is that there is an evolution and there is a reality that the black church has always been at the forefront of the civil rights movement. There was no... It was not by accident that whites who wanted to block civil rights attacked the church. 
They tortured them, they burned them down, they blew them down because they knew where the independence was and where the uh, liberation theology uh, was being spoken of. And while the scriptures, you know, tell us to go forth and make disciples, he also says man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of the mouth. So there is a role for the church within its community. And that role, I'm afraid, has really been abandoned because at the end of the day, in most, and I don't indict all churches, most churches spend half of their year raising money for a building fund, the other half for the pastor's anniversary, each of which is egregious and unforgivable. Uh, it has become too business-oriented, but it has become business-oriented toward a very, very select group. Amen. And the church has abandoned its role to uh, advance uh, its community. Now, Quentin, you look like the kind of person who burns upon entry in the church. Uh, <laughs> do you think that there's, there's something to be said about, you know, um, we have lost faith in the preachers or the, the pastors or the, the leadership of the church because, you know, we, we see the Creflo dollars. We, we see uh, the Eddie Longs walking around. I mean, Creflo Dollar, I think, asked his church, he asked his church for an $85 million. Well, Eddie's dead. He's not walking <laughs> anywhere. We're going uh, well, I said the Eddie's. The Eddie's. Uh, yeah, you know? uh, but, you know, but, you know, Creflo asked for $85 million newer Gulfstream yeah. than the one that he had before. I mean, and, and the people that are, the, it's almost like these pastors are pimping out church people, knowing that, you know, the words, bring me your poor. You know what I'm saying? Bring, bring, bring me your broken. Well, the poor and the broken are coming only to be broken and more poor while the, 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 the elite of the church become richer off of their back saying, hey, give to the church. Give to us and let's help you out. I mean, I feel like the trust is being broken, but we as, a, we as the black community still continue to cling to it for whatever reason. Because that's all we know. That's how we were brought up, right? So, like, like he alluded to earlier, uh, I want to say all churches are that, but you have those bad examples, but it's not just the majority black churches. This happens in all churches. They're uh, pimps in all churches. You know, they, they prey on the poor and tell them bring the interest. But to me, I feel like the church has lost its path and what, what, it, what its role in the community is because... All these funds, the church takes in all the funds from the black community, but you don't see any fruits of it anywhere in the community. No, you know, people aren't uh, gaining employment. The church is not organizing things for people to better themselves. So that's my problem with the black church. And I'm not saying all churches because where I come from, there's a very strong church in West Columbia, South Carolina, that you can see the fruits of the congregation's donations. They've created jobs. They've created wellness centers. They've created a campus where people can come and actually gain employment. People can come and take loans out. They have a credit union. So there is a need for the church in the black community. Uh, the, I just feel like we have the wrong people in some of these churches leading the members in, in the wrong direction. We're not empowering. We're not educating. We're not equipping people to to go out and create a better life for themselves. We're basically telling them to come in and give us all your money and then you go home and wait on a blessing to arrive. And that's not how it works. Damon, you look yeah. like you want to say something about that. Well, I did. Actually, I want to uh, echo what Kevin Plowden said, that uh, the, 
the theology has been replaced with uh, prosperity-based preaching, which is not unique to black churches. It's across the board the idea that God wants everybody to be rich, which is not true, and that God wants us all to, pros to prosper financially, which is not true. I don't think God cares about that. Um, I, I think the, the black church, for all, all the reasons echoed, what I do want to say is this. It still has a place, though. You know, you can you can separate the the, the politics and, and prosperity. It's still a place to go to meet and hopefully learn about God to get in touch with your community. Um, if the church you're going to isn't fulfilling that aspect, there are tons of churches out there you can go to, and they don't have to be limited to a black church. Go and, and, and connect with with the Lord. Now you can have the church anywhere. We can have church right here, right now, if we wanted to. And some people might say we are, uh, especially with the deacon here. But uh, I, I, what I don't want is the idea that we are now creating an excuse to, I guess, lose sight of church and, and, and where, where it's been at in my life and its importance, one. And then two, I think it's great what these pastors are doing. This whole topic started off with pastors getting together to to financially reinvest in some ways, hopefully, back into the community, which is what we're asking them to do. You take this money, instead of buying a Learjet or a Gulfstream jet or whatever, or your second Bentley or your first Bentley, but create an institution where we can invest not just on a small, like, within the three-mile radius of my church, but hopefully to within the zip code where my church is located, the community expanding to where those people who aren't members of my church can still benefit financially from what we're doing. And I, and I agree with you, but I wanna, I'm want i going to say something, but I want to uh, get Ron's opinion on this first before I speak on it. Okay. Well, my experience has been in church. Uh, Very limited. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. But... At Katie Presbyterian. <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't a good one. I, I was doing some app work for a church, volunteering my work. They were doing a conference. And I'm not giving out any names, Ooh. but there's some powerful people in the building. And I'm overhearing while I'm working. Not, you know, they're doing their conference stuff. And I heard some bad stuff, I'm, I'm not going to lie, where they were counting people's butts in the seats as a dollar sign and saying, you should be making this much on this many seats. coming. It was ran... 100% like a business, and I know business. So, as I took that, it kind of turned me off. I ran into an older uh, pastor on, on, on an airplane, and he was talking. He said, man, I'm in Houston. Come to my church. And he was telling me about it, and I was telling him about my experience, and he said, well, I'm not like that. I'm a small, humble congregation. We're going to come here and do this. I said, yeah, but I told you the story. You knew exactly what I was talking about. You knew exactly what was going on. I was like, you don't say anything? Like, you know there's, there's these people out here robbing some of these people, and you don't speak up. But you're like the the, the good white cop. <laughs> and they say anything to, to the bad white cop. And, and why, why don't y'all get together and, and, and get on these crap little dollar people and stuff like that and say, hey, man, this is not how we represent ourselves. This is bad. We're not going to stand for this. And, and nobody says anything. And I'll, it always rep, ran me the wrong way that they didn't speak up. Well, so... When I think about the black church, I can't, everything I think about, I think about where it starts off historically and where, it, where it's uh, progress to now. In my opinion, the black church started as a way to pacify us during slavery. Um, we, we were told how to be Christians. We were taught how to be Christians. We were given these Christian values and told, you know, this is where you should be. We, um, it, it, slavery was... was um, was uh, was 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 approved because of the biblical standard that was given, saying that there was a master and a servant. You are where you should be right now, uh, and then we 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 progressed into into using the the 
the Christianity that was given to us as a sort of uh, uh, insulation and protection, as a sense of comfort in this dark time, saying, well, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, salvation is here for us one day. Even if we, we are hell on earth right now, we can get to glory by the time we die. And hopefully we have this Jesus with us that, that will protect us and, 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 and bring us to the promised land. The promised land was, was one of the things that was always talked about when you talk, talked about uh, church being held within the slave quarters. Then you progress uh, with that. And it's funny to me because the same type of um, weaponry that was used in Christianity in substantiating slavery, we then adopted in terms of discrimination against other other cultures. You talk about the gays and the lesbians and saying, well, you know, the Bible says you shouldn't do this. Well, how... How can you then weapon? You've been you've been a product of the weaponization of, of Christianity before, and I'm not saying that the Christian. I believe in Christ. I believe in God. I choose to. I don't believe in everything that 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 is espoused within the Bible, but I choose to believe in 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 uh, a lot of the edicts and teachings of the Bible. But we, how can you go from being having Christianity used as a weapon against you? to then discriminating against the next subgroup of people with that same weaponization. And then on top of that, we hold so stringently to pastors within the black, and I don't care about any other community because that's not the ones that I'm a part of, but we hold so strongly to pastor as if he's infallible, you know, because the Bible says you're lead, you do not denounce your leadership. So Pat, when pastor does something wrong, we, we explain it away. We give excuses for it to our detriment, yet and still we are harder on our own selves than we are on the people that show themselves as the leadership within that Christian community. So that becomes a problem for me. And then on top of that, when you have these same pastors, when you have the same elite class that, that, are, that are basically pimping the church out, at what point do you say, you know, enough is enough. We have to change. If we're going to be Christian, we can't continue to do Christianity in the same way. And I think that we have stagnated um, in what Christianity should be for the black church. You, uh, and generalizations are always dangerous, but it was interesting that you started this discussion by referencing uh, Pastor Kirby John Caldwell's predicament that he finds himself in. First of all, you as a defense attorney, Brennan and myself, I have <clears throat> to echo the very first thing that we fundamentally all believe, Everybody is presumed innocent until proven guilty. So I'm not going to pass on that uh, situation in those terms. But yet, if we're going to uh, use him as an example, then he should also get credit for the fact that the very church that I assume you still attend, St. John's, no, was... He <laughs> well then I'm sorry but St. John's was started by Kirby John Caldwell that church was founded to give assistance to the homeless and to uh, the AIDS population and stuff so again like I said if we're going to tear him apart we also need to build him up because he, he, he should get credit for that but kind of in terms of theology and stuff, though, when you said that you do not necessarily accept the whole of the Bible, okay, you and I have a huge problem, uh, because I do believe in the inerrant word of God, 
from Genesis to Revelation. And I do believe that there's got to be a truth. And it shouldn't be, I mean, a revelation versus, you know, changing that truth to match current affairs and stuff creates a lot of uh, difficulties for me. I'm going to avoid the issue of gay, homosexual. I'm not, I'm not going to even get go there. Uh, but in terms of the mindset of the person in the pew, Bible says, study to show thyself approved. No human being should just listen to the preacher. No. He is flesh and blood just like you, and he is subject to the same temptations as you are. I saw once, and it was just horrible, a minister was caught in an uh, extramarital affair, and the women in the congregation tore up the woman who was involved in the relationship and left him unscathed. That's how ignorant sometimes the people in the field women can be. And, and, and <laughs> when we talked about that, we talked about, you know, that on, in, in the form of discussion, the vast majority of the people in the pews are women. Y'all? <laughs> women are the ones that actually keep the church running. Keep it alive. I mean, most... We home watching football. Uh, doing something, but we're, we're not there. And it is for that reason uh, we feel like we are co uh, competing with bro preacher. But let's tell the truth: the most religion is in the prison system. Uh, what, what do you mean what? by the truth, <laughs> sir? I mean, you just can't <laughs> say words I mean, and expect been, us to say uh, amen. It's real preachy of you, sir. No, I'm just saying. I'm saying when you compare it to slavery and, and that, that control aspect of religion, and I'm mentoring in, in prison systems. When you've been in the prison system, it is a religion that hope. And everything that bring, that comes with it is forced in, in those people in the system. You never find a more religious people than you are in prison. Everybody, I don't care what they did or what they're doing now. Well, that's not true. So the, poor, the, poor, the poor people, I mean, you find, I mean, I, I like that you are so confidently wrong. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it brings a sense of like, like I, mean, I can do anything type. Because, I mean, you can't say that, that obviously, there are people in prison that that that, that you hear it all the time. I, I converted to uh, Islam. Oh, you know, all the, real religion is big in prison. But, but there's also, I mean, poor people, I would probably venture, would pr probably be one of the, the biggest uh, contributors to, to uh, the mainstay of the church going society. I mean, those are the people who are who are probably, and I'm not saying this is as a fact, but in my opinion, they're, they're probably the ones who are going the most because they're the ones who are seeking the most, uh, hope. The most hope, the most redemption. I think uh, Tabitha Paisley said on here, uh, you go to church for the hope. You know what I'm saying? That's that's what, hope, what most people hope, are going hope, for. Most aspects of the same. Tabitha, you go to church. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so to me, it, to bring it back full circle to our, I think our first or second topic about the schools, uh, and like Alvin said, it kind of goes back to personal responsibility. If you go to church and you and you get duped by somebody, is it the church's fault? Is no, it the pastor's fault? It's, it's not. your fault. Members have well, to be accountable because this is the thing. If you have been given to the building fund for seven years and, and the, the building, building toilet still <laughs> leaking, right. at some point in time, you have to check yourself and be like, I'm not putting no more money into this plate until I see what you're doing with it. Well, you know, fellas, I, I know we've had a pretty good discussion on this. I don't want to. Because this will turn into a sermon, and we could talk about this literally all night. We might. Uh, we have some blogs that we're going to be doing, so uh, I think that that might be one of the blog topics that either I or Damon uh, and fellas, as guests, uh, if you have something that on your spirit and heart that you want to write, uh, you are more than welcome to uh, to uh, submit a blog, so we can have a, a bit more discussion on that. But there is some black magic I want to talk about real quick. Uh, we have a couple more minutes left, so uh, Drake, Drizzy. 
just dropped another another whole album, like 25 songs worth of stuff. A uh, new Scorpion record. Um, it broke it broke so many records. It broke uh, the record with one billion streams. I mean, a billion. That's 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 one seventh of the human population as as many streams as he's he's gotten. Uh, he also uh, broke the Beatles record um, for uh, setting the most singles um, to hit the uh, Billboard's top ten. He has seven out of ten of the Billboard top ten singles. Uh, he also is in the record books uh, for having 20, I think it's 25, 27 uh, tracks in the Hot 100. I mean, this is, he is top, he's tra- toppling uh, Michael Jackson's record. He is, he is now listed as one of, I, mean, I think arguably, he is now one of the greatest musical artists uh, to be put out in terms of success. Like him, hate him, whatever you do, but you can't argue against the numbers that he's putting up at this point. Well done, young man. Uh, That's black magic. I mean, anybody have something they want to add to that? I mean, I'm I'm not a big. Well, I haven't been a big Drake fan, but I will say this last album that he put out, it it was a good album. But um, like you say, man, you can't deny. I I think Drake is is a is a icon while he's working. He he's already made it to an icon level. He's gonna go down as one of the greatest. Probably has one of the biggest followings. He's probably I would I would put him up there with Beyonce. I think he has just a stronger following as Beyonce has. So you can't that. you can't deny his accomplishments. You can't deny yeah. what he's doing. And and Alvin just I'm uh, mad at Drake for two years ago. He came to New York and messed up Serena right, right before she played <laughs> in the uh, semifinals. The the <laughs> she got out there and lost to a player. Well, I just want to I just want to uh, tell you, Alvin, rap is a form of music. <laughs> <laughs> Drake is a young black Jewish boy uh, from the streets of Canada. It's a form of entertainment. It's a lack of music. Well, fellas, you know what? It has been a pleasure having you on the show, Mr. Free- Ron Freeman and Alvin Nunnery. I mean, I couldn't have asked for our first guest on uh, Intelligence to be uh, this esteemed, this well uh, put together, and this informative on what they had to say for good, bad, or worse. Or uh, wrong. I, <laughs> or wrong. Uh, we appreciate you. And every day, you know, it takes it takes something to be out, be able to, to, to stand on, on your core beliefs, and I appreciate, uh, uh, Ron, your, your core belief values, uh, uh, Alvin, your beliefs. We want to make sure you guys are making sure, as like I told you, we're, we're every week we're trying to progress and build this show out. We have some of the graphic stuff that's going to be getting better. Uh, it, it's a process, but we now have the website up, um, which is gentspodcast.com. G-E-N-T-S podcast.com. We've got the YouTube channel up now. We need to get to 100 subscribers uh, for us to make it a dedicated site. So please go to the YouTube site, which is the same as the uh, website, right? No, No, it's not. I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm doing. That's why I have somebody who tells me what to do. And guess what? It is a black woman. woman. Black woman. Uh, So the YouTube site is gentspodcasting.com. dot youtube or slash youtube you just go and you go to youtube gents podcasting <laughs> as well as and, and we also have an instagram account which is at gents podcasting correct 
All right, so YouTube, Instagram, website, and obviously Facebook. If you haven't liked uh, the Facebook page, please like and follow it. Go on and subscribe to YouTube so we can make this a dedicated thing. We build it out. Uh, and go to the website. We're going to, all the, we're, we're, the goal is to have a lot of B roll stuff that you guys will see. That, so, what you don't see right here, off camera stuff that we're going to be doing, uh, uh, street conversations that we're going to be having with people. Uh, the blog is, is going to be on there. We have a lot of information to go on there. So, tune in with us. That was our time. We love you. We appreciate all the uh, commentary and all the watches. If you haven't shared this episode yet, please go ahead and share it. Thank you, and we're out. Appreciate it. That was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs>